You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today on the podcast... I am going to be taking a deep dive into Georgia's trip to Rocky Top this weekend to take on the much better than expected Tennessee Volunteers. I'll preview the personnel, the numbers, the schemes, and the keys to the game the way we do each and every week on these episodes. But first, I do want to make sure to remind you guys about the Normal Town Cottage here in the lovely Classic City. Whenever you are making your next trip to Athens, it's a no-brainer, guys. Book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage. It is absolutely 100% the best bang for your buck that you're going to find anywhere. You got three bedrooms, a kitchenette, big screen TV. There are no hidden costs like you find at the big hotels. You have free parking on a gorgeous tree-lined street right in the heart of Athens. Awesome bars, awesome restaurants, just a very short walk away. And downtown is just down the street. So if you're coming up to Athens to visit friends, family, for, uh, hey, a basketball game now. It's basketball season. It'll be tennis season in a couple months. Whatever you're coming up to Athens for, the Normal Town Cottage, I'm telling you guys, just take my word for it. It is the best place to stay in Athens. And even if you don't take my word for it, just pull up their page on Airbnb and read all the glowing reviews that have been posted. I mean, I read through them all. I don't think there's anything but glowing reviews. And once you make your stay, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about and what everybody on Airbnb is talking about as well. So again, book your stay today for your next trip to Athens at the Normal Town Cottage. And also, of course, don't forget about our good friends at Alumni Hall. If you are looking to buy yourself some nice winter Georgia gear, or who knows, maybe you're going ahead and you're getting a head start on the holiday season, Alumni Hall is the go-to place for all your Georgia gear and accessory needs. They have a 10% discount every single day of the week, all day, every day, if you are a UGA student or a military veteran. They also have an awesome Hall Pass Rewards program where you can rack up the credits towards future purchases real quick. Because if you're like me, you go into Alumni Hall and you can't help but drop some serious cash. There's just too much you see that you like. You got every brand you can imagine. You got Nike, Nike Golf, Cutter and Buck, Peter Millard, Johnny O. Columbia. I mean, I'm sure I'm leaving something out, but whatever you want, I'm telling you, they've got it. Men's, women's, children's, whatever you need for the Georgia fan in your life, 
and that includes you, they've got it. So stop in the next time you're in Athens at the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City, or you can also just shop online. Of course, that's that's the easiest way to go, right? Shop online at alumnihall.com today. And really quickly, guys, please just hear me for one more second here. I just want to qu- take a quick moment to, again, thank all of you for all your support of this podcast. I mean, many of you have been with us for years now. Some of you go back to the very beginning when we had like, what, 20 people listening to us on SoundCloud going back a couple of years, man. Uh, and some of you go back to the Dog Sports Radio days. Some of you stuck it out with us during the Podbean interlude after Dog Sports Radio very unceremoniously closed up shop like a couple of weeks before. I want to say like the 2018 season, if I remember that right. Some of you stuck with us through that. Some of you are new to us this year, and that's awesome. But whoever you are, no matter how long you've been with us, I hope you know how much we value and appreciate you guys and how loyally you have supported our podcast over the years. And because of that support, man, like we just put together the two best months in the seven-year history of this podcast. The month of September was the best month we've ever had. More listeners, more downloads than any other single month. And then October came in right behind September. I mean, like right behind September as our second best month ever. Now, Charlie, she's claimed credit for that. She says that she is the one. The presence of a superstar of her stature That's what explains those numbers. But look, I know the truth. I know the truth. It's all because of you guys. That's the reality here. So thank you for all your support. Again, whether you've been with us since the very beginning, we love you guys. Whether you're new to the show, we love you too. Thank you guys for being here, for listening each and every week. We try to give you the best Georgia content that we can possibly produce. Try to give you a little bit of a a different look into the program, maybe more focused on the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's. And I'm just so thankful that you guys are enjoying that and you come back each and every week. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your support. But all right, let's talk some football all year. You guys know, you know what we've heard. We've heard from other fan bases, yeah, the Georgia defense is good, but they haven't played anybody. I mean, if you took a shot, for any of you that, that like to take a drink every now and then, if you took a shot for every time you've heard that over the course of this season, your liver would have exploded by now. No doubt about it. And we've talked about it on this show. I mean, we talked about it. We have. Like The fact is, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the premise that we haven't played like a truly elite offense yet. We played some good offenses, but not any elite offenses, in my opinion. But all those people out there, and maybe it's some of you guys, that have been waiting for us to play a quote-unquote real offense, well, all those people are going to get their wish this week. Now, I'm not going to call the Tennessee offense elite, which I will explain more later on in the show when we get to some of the numbers. But the way they are playing right now and with their ability to generate explosive plays, I will say that I think this would be the biggest challenge for our defense yet. And by extension, especially considering that it's in Knoxville, the biggest test for our entire team to this point in the season. But let's go ahead and dive into our countdown to the game in Knoxville, where I will give you five players to know, four stats that matter, three matchups to watch, two schemes, and one key to the game. And let's start at the top with five players to know. And we're going to open with the quarterback position, quarterback Hendon Hooker. He is the engine to this Tennessee offense right now. 
He's a transfer from Virginia Tech, put up decent numbers at Virginia Tech, but once he was inserted as their starting quarterback, I believe against Tennessee Tech earlier in the year, their offensive numbers improved almost across the board, not quite as dramatically as what we saw last year with our team when once JT Daniels took over as our starting quarterback, but the numbers have certainly improved offensively. They've gone over 600 yards of total offense in two different games with him at the helm. He's completed 69% of his passes, 10.2 yards per attempt, 21 touchdowns to two picks. He's just not turning the football over, which is a big part of kind of their surge over the past couple of weeks. And look, as I know, we'll get to this more later on, I know that people are concerned about their pass game, but Hooker has always been, even going back to Virginia Tech, he's always been more of a runner than he has been a passer. Now, he has shown me more as a passer this season under Josh Heupel than he ever did at Virginia Tech. Honestly, at Virginia Tech, I always told you he was kind of a liability as a passer, but I think if you look at what he's done this year, it seems like that was certainly more of a scheme thing with Virginia Tech with Justin Fuente. It just wasn't really schemed up to kind of show his showcase his abilities, whereas Josh Heupel's offense is far more quarterback friendly, and his numbers reflect that this year. I mean, he's a solid passer. I'm not saying he's like a garbage passer. No, he can he can complete passes. He's a solid passer. But again, it's his legs that are honestly what concerns me the most about his game, especially with how Tennessee likes to spread the field, create space for a guy with his skill set to exploit. He's a really long strider. Like At times, it looks like he's not moving that fast, but he's just eating up yards. He's a really long strider. He's got pretty good quickness for a guy that's his size. He's pretty tall, but he's a guy certainly that you have to account for. I mean, in the run game, the pass game, everything they do offensively, again, he's kind of the engine behind what they do, and he's really helped this Tennessee offense start to turn the corner. So first and foremost, when you're talking about this Tennessee football team, I think you got to start with quarterback Hendon Hooker, but he's got a really good group of wide receivers to throw to. So my next two players are receivers that have been really explosive for Tennessee the past couple of weeks, and we're going to start with a transfer formerly uh, from USC out in California, like the real USC, and that's Vellish Jones. He's really taken a jump this year. Last year, he was fine in the COVID year. He had 22 catches for 280 yards in his first year as a transfer at Tennessee, but this year he's really taken a big jump. He's already up to 36 catches for 550 yards, almost doubled his 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 yardage output from last year already. Now he's not like the biggest receiver. He's six foot, about 200 pounds, so he's not small. He's short. He's one of those guys. He's short-ish, but he's not small. And they use him in different ways. They'll put him in the slot occasionally. They'll put him out wide. They'll use him in some in some different formations. But his skill set is pretty impressive. He's a really shifty and fast wide receiver. They certainly in Jim Cheney's offense last year did not make proper use of him. That's pretty clear right now. He's a really great fit for the offense that Josh Heupel runs. He really is a guy that operates really well in space and in an offense that really thrives getting people in space. Like that's the goal of this offense is to get playmakers in space. And he's a guy that really operates well in space, which is a great fit. Uh, he can stretch the field vertically or horizontally, which again is kind of what this offense is built through, built to do. That's what we talked about earlier in the mailbag episode. We'll talk, talk more about that later on. But he's a guy that can stretch the field vertically and can also stretch the field horizontally in the screen game and can make plays in, in both regards. He is their most explosive wide receiver right now. He's averaging 15.4 yards per attempt. Again, he's a guy that can take him to the house on a screen. He's a guy that can beat you vertically with a deep ball and a nine route. He can do it all for them. He's a really good player. They even hand him 
the ball occasionally. They'll do some things with him like that. But he's the guy that you've got to be aware of at all times for this Tennessee offense. you got to know where he is. you got to account for him and be prepared to stop him. Again, whether it's a screen game, whether it's a vertical game, you got to have a plan to stop Velas Jones. And then his running mate is a guy named Cedric Tillman. He's a different-looking wide receiver than Jones. He's taller, he's longer, he's 6'3", about 215, but he's just about equally as productive. He also has 36 receptions on the year, just a couple less yards, 525 yards on the year compared to five, was it 550 for Jones. Now, he's also taking a big jump this year. So Tillman is a redshirt junior. He's been in the program for four years. Last year, he had three catches for 67 total yards. In fact, he has only he only had eight catches in his first three years on campus in Knoxville. Obviously, he's taken a massive jump forward this year and really, really responded well to this kind of wide open system that Josh Heupel has brought to Knoxville. He's been really benefited from that system. He's also more of like a 50-50 ball threat with his size than a guy like Velas Jones is. He's got really good speed himself. I, I wouldn't say he's quite as fast as Jones, but there's certainly not much of a drop off there. Both those guys, Jones and Tillman, are explosive home run threats every single time they touch the ball. So both these guys, you have to be aware of where they're on the field, down in a distant situation, and you've got to have a plan to slow these guys down because they can make game-changing type explosive plays. They've each done that over the past couple of weeks. All right, stick with the offense here because this team really is built around the offense. We're going to do a two-for-one special here and go with both of their running backs, or top two running backs, Tyon Evans and Jabari Small. Now, both these guys are kind of banged up right now. There's a question as to whether they're going to be able to play, what's their availability going to the game this weekend. Josh Heupel, most recently, as early as today, what he said was, quote, I feel like those guys will be in position to help us on Saturday. He couldn't say they're going to be 100% healthy, couldn't say they're absolutely going to play, but he feels like they're going to be in a position to help them on Saturday. So if I had to guess right now, I think they'll both play. I don't think they'll both be 100%, but I think we'll see both those guys. And look, they've both kind of like been banged up at different points this year. They've had a hard time getting both those guys to play in the same game. I think they're going to try to make that happen this week, especially with number one coming to town. Will they be 100%? Probably not, but they're still really good running backs. Evans is the guy that's leading them in rushing right now. He's got 81 attempts for 520 yards, 6.4 yards per attempt. Small, I mean, it's about equal attempts. He has 76 attempts on the year, but for only 386 yards, 5.1 yards per attempt. So Evans is the guy that's biting off more chunk yards. He's been more productive, but they're both really good backs. They both benefit from the space that Tennessee's offense creates with how they spread the field. They're, they're very similar, honestly, in how they run as well. They they can both run with power. They're good between the tackles. They're good on the edges. They can make you miss in the hole. They have a little bit of elusiveness to their game. They've got home run speed. If they get into the open field, I think Evans is a little bit faster than Small, in my opinion, based off what I've seen from them. But I think there's not really much of a drop-off when you go from Evans to Small. I know Evans has been a little bit more of a home run hitter. He's averaging more yards per carry, about a yard and a half more per carry than Small is right now. But again, I I think they're very similar in a lot of ways and there's not much of a drop off when you go from Evans to Small. And finally, I'll give you one defensive player here. I'm only giving you one defensive player because this is not a very good Tennessee defense. We'll talk more about that later on when we get to our stats that matter. But I'm gonna give you Elante Smith. He is a cornerback for Tennessee. 
He's been a good player for them for a couple of years now. And he's a guy that I think really benefited from Jeremy Pruitt's coaching. I know we don't give Jeremy Pruitt much credit, but he's a good defensive coach, especially a secondary coach. And I think he really coached up Alante Smith. And, and Smith, I think, is their best defensive player. Now, that's not saying all that much because they don't have a ton of like game change or really any game-changing type players, maybe outside of Alante Smith on this defense. But I think pretty clearly you watch them play. He's the guy that stands out and flashes to you when you look at that defense. I think they're really lucky that he stuck around after the transition. They saw so much attrition, so many guys leave and enter the transfer portal after Jeremy Pruitt was fired and let go and how that whole thing went down with NCAA and potential infractions, all that stuff. But he stuck around and they're very lucky he did because it's not a great defense and they needed somebody of his capabilities out there to kind of bridge the gap to what they what they hope to be in the future. But from a skill set perspective, he, he's long. He's got good ball skills. They actually thought he might be a receiver coming out of high school. Some teams are actually recruiting him as a receiver. Ends up on the defensive side of the ball, and that's been a good move for him. He's been really good there. Got really good ball skills going back to his, his years as a receiver. He's a really good athlete. Has good instincts for a guy that hasn't always been like a full-time cornerback going back to high school. But he's really developed some good instincts there. He knows what he's doing. He had a game-changing pick six. Talk about game-changing players. He had a game-changing pick six on Saturday against Kentucky that, that won that game. I mean, at the moment, you didn't know it was going to win the game, but it ultimately ended up being the difference in that game. Without that play, I don't think Tennessee wins again, ended up winning that game by three points. And it was a great play, kind of selling the route. He read what Will Levis was looking at, broke on the ball. Again, talking about good instincts, great instincts, had the ball skills, boom, great athleticism. Next thing you know, pick six. He certainly has that kind of capability. And talk about having to know where guys are at all times. Alante Smith is a guy that we have to be aware of. I'm not saying like he's the kind of guy that you just can't throw at. You have to stay away from. He's not that. I don't, again, I've talked about this many times throughout the years. I don't know if I believe in the idea of shutdown corners anymore because the way the rules are structured, you're just not really allowed to be a shutdown corner anymore. But he's really good. And uh, we're going to have to be aware when we're throwing his direction that you can't just stare down a receiver because he will break on that ball. He'll make a play on it. And he absolutely has the ability to make game-changing type plays. But those are your five players to know heading into this matchup. Got quarterback Hendon Hooker, wide receiver Vellis Jones, receiver Cedric Tillman, running backs Tyon Evans and Jabari Small, and then DB cornerback Alante Taylor. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
But let's move into our next segment, which are the four stats that matter. And I'm gonna open with a short one here, all right? I'm gonna talk about the offensive splits for this Tennessee offense. Coming into the week, what I've heard a lot from listeners, what I've heard from my friends around town, just reading stuff on social media, a lot of people are concerned about the Tennessee pass game. And I understand why. They put up a lot of points on Kentucky last week, and they hit a lot of explosive plays in the pass game. They hit some explosive plays in the pass game against Alabama. So in those games that people have watched most recently with this Tennessee football team, they've really been hitting those explosive plays in the pass game. And they are certainly capable of that. We'll talk about that with our next stat that matters. But I want to make sure you understand, guys, at the same time, that yes, they've hit some big plays in the pass game, but this is still very much a run-heavy team. They are running the ball 62% of the time this season. To kind of put that in perspective, I know you guys think that we run the ball, right? We get all these questions all the time, like, oh man, can Stetson Bennett beat a team with his arm if he has to? Like our passing offense, is it really there? Is it dynamic enough to win a national title? We get these questions all the time. We run the ball 61% of the time. Tennessee actually runs the ball more than us. And this is a misconception with Josh Heupel's offense. Go back to his days at Missouri. Go back to his days at UCF. Yes, they generate explosive plays in the pass game, but they were able to do that because of their commitment to the run. It's very similar for us guys. How are we able to create and generate those explosive plays in the pass game, those play action shots? It's by our commitment to the run. We force teams to defend us in a certain way Like Missouri, for instance, last week was selling out to stop the run. And when they do that, they obviously are going to leave themselves vulnerable to deep shots down the field. They don't have as many guys back there. You have more one-on-one opportunities. And we have the receivers that can make you pay in those one-on-one opportunities. And Stetson was able to hit enough of those. JT, when he was playing, was able to hit enough of those to really damage teams, to hurt teams. Tennessee is built kind of the same way. Now, aesthetically, the way it looks, the way they spread the field certainly looks different from how we kind of structure our offense formationally but the core philosophy is very similar they want to run the football again they run the ball 62 percent of the time so even though those explosive passing plays are what catches your eyes and that's what kind of creates some concern going this matchup you have to understand they create those opportunities for themselves by running the ball. They are going to run the football and they're very good at it. They ran for like 7,000 yards against Missouri earlier in the year. Yeah, I know. I get it. The Missouri defense is horrific against the run, but Tennessee put up 458 yards on the ground against that Missouri defense in Columbia. Guys, we didn't even manage 200 yards against them. All right. It's it's what they want to do. They want to establish the run. They're very good at it. And when they do that, teams have to defend them a certain way and they spread the field and are able to capitalize on the opportunities that you give them out wide with those receivers. But for our second stat that matter, let's go ahead and let's talk about these explosive plays. All right. Kind of alluded to it. Let's go in more detail here. Now, I will say that this Tennessee offense is not as consistently awesome as a lot of people in the Georgia fan base are making them out to be this week. They're good. Don't get me wrong. They're really good. But they I don't know if they're an elite offense. I mean, they're they're close-ish. They're borderline. I mean, they're top 20 nationally, like right at number 20 nationally at 457 yards a game. They're top 25 nationally in yards per play, um, averaging 6.5 yards per, per play. Again, perspective here, guys. People complain about our offense and say that our offense is not championship good and that we can't rely on our defense to bail us out all the time, that we've got to get better offensively to be able to win a national title and beat the teams we're going to have to beat. 
Well, we're averaging 6.9 yards per play, guys. So if you think this Tennessee offense is great, if you're building up this Tennessee offense, then what does that say about the Georgia offense? When we're averaging almost a half yard more per play than they are. They're top 25 nationally in yards per play. We're top 10. We're number eight nationally in yards per play, guys. I don't think a lot of people in the Georgia fan base realize that. I know there's this perception out there, well, Stetson Bennett, we don't have an explosive offense, but we actually do. We actually do. So all I'm saying here is, Yes, Tennessee's offense is good. Yes, I do agree this will be the biggest challenge to date for our defense. I'm not disputing that. I agree with that. I just don't want to go overboard here and make this Tennessee offense out to be like it's the 2019 LSU offense. It's not that. They're good. They're really good. I just don't think they're quite elite. But what they do really well, as I was alluding to earlier, is they generate explosive plays. They've been doing a great job of this lately. They're first in the SEC in passing plays of 30 or more yards. They got 20 passing plays of 30 or more yards, guys. That's really good. Now, we're actually not that far behind. I think we have 17 passing plays of 30 or more yards, so we're, we're right there. But they're also, get this number, this is crazy. They're first in the SEC in passing plays of 70 or more yards. They've got four passing plays of 70 or more yards. They hit one the very first play of the game against Kentucky last week to take that early lead. And that's what they do. They want to generate explosive plays. Again, how they do that, they establish the run and they force you to defend that because they will they will gash you with the run if you don't respond and defend the run. And when you do that, you open up opportunities for them to hit explosive plays in the passing game and they absolutely will take that. They build a lot, almost like different, multiple different plays into one play at the same time. And whatever you give them, they will take and they can hurt you with it. But they definitely are very explosive offense. They are as explosive if not more explosive than anyone in the SEC. Not quite as explosive as anyone in the country, but in the SEC, this is the most explosive explosive passing offense, at least. Now, another big part of them being able to generate these explosive plays is the rapid pace at which they play offensively. This is a tempo-based offense. Now, we, this is another talking point we've heard a lot during this week, and I talked about it earlier in the week as well on our, on our mailbag episode, because they do run at, at a very fast pace but they're not as fast in their tempo as I think some people would make it out to be this week, at least based on the things that I've heard and read and seen this week. But they still operate much faster than we do. They're 40th nationally and fifth in the SEC in plays per game. They're averaging just about 73 plays per game. Ole Miss is at the top. I think they're number eight nationally, so they're tops in the SEC at 78.8 plays per game. Now, we are on the other end of the spectrum to Tennessee and Ole Miss. We are 126 nationally in plays per game, only averaging 62.7 plays per game. And that's really, to me, a byproduct of the blowouts that we've been in where we get these leads and we, you know, in this really almost the entirety of the second half, we're just trying to run the clock. We're running the play clock down. We're in no hurry. We're just trying to get out of there with a the, with the win. We're not trying to blow out a team any more than is, I guess, necessary. So, but it's interesting. Like this is very much a clash of styles here with the Tennessee offense that wants to go at a rapid pace with with high tempo, and we are very much a slow it down type team. And I I will say this too. So like they're only 40th nationally in plays per game, which doesn't really like jump out at you. But when you watch them play, I feel like they have the ability to go faster than about anyone that I have watched play in the SEC SEC this year. And I've watched a lot of games. I've watched. Ole Miss a ton. I've watched Mississippi State a ton. And those teams go really fast. Bama goes really fast. I think when Tennessee really is humming offensively and they want to go fast, they go faster than anyone. But they do slow it down at times to complement their defense when necessary. But again, when they want to go fast, they go real fast. And that creates a bunch of issues for your defense, particularly when it comes to communication and adjustments. 
before you can get a word out of your mouth and communicate to the guy next to you, they're snapping the ball. You don't really have time to adjust. You might be like mid-adjustment somewhere on the field. You're not quite where you need to be and you've got a blown assignment. And they can take advantage of that. They have the explosive playmakers to take advantage of that. They did that to Kentucky multiple times last weekend and they were able to create big plays off of that. And those big plays are devastating. How does a team like Tennessee that doesn't have the talent to compete with Georgia stay in a game like this? they hit explosive plays. They're not going to consistently be able to go down the field on 10, 11, 12 play drives. They're not going to be able to do that on a consistent basis. I'm not saying they can't do it once or twice here and there and score some points, but they're not going to do it consistently. So how do they hang in a game like this? They hit big plays and Tennessee's been really, really good at that. It's much easier to score on a one to two play drive, right? There's fewer opportunities for things to go wrong. So that's how they're going to stay in this game if they're able to. And we simply just cannot allow that. But the pace at which they operate, the tempo, is a big part of how they're able to create those explosive play opportunities. So we're going to have to be prepared for that. It's really tough to prepare for that. You can have your scout team run tempo in practice, but it's just not the same thing. You can't simulate the reality of how fast they go, especially when you're in a road environment. Okay, and for our last stat that matters here, the first three have been focused on their offense because I know that's where people's attention is when you're talking about this Tennessee football team. But let's go with some defensive numbers here. Guys, this defense is not very good. There are some issues with this defense. As good as their offense has been, as explosive as they have been, defensively, they have not been very good. Let's go. Just Let's just look at the Kentucky game last week. Kentucky, you guys know this, is not a very good offense. They are certainly not explosive. But if you watched that game last week, you know what I'm about to say. Kentucky put up over 600 yards of total offense on that Tennessee defense last week. 612 yards. They had 35 first downs in that game. Somehow lost it. I still don't quite know how it happened. Well, explosive plays. That's how it happened. 612 yards total offense, 35 first downs. They were 12 for 17 on third downs. They threw for 387 yards in the game. And here's the thing, guys. Kentucky, as I said, is not good on offense. They were only averaging 366 yards per game coming into last week's matchup against Tennessee. In fact, in SEC play, they were only averaging 334 yards per game. And they almost doubled that last week, 612 yards against Tennessee. And let's take it a step further. They had 387 yards passing against Tennessee. They were only averaging 142 yards passing per game coming into last week. They more than doubled that number. Now, that's just one small sample size, but kind of tells the story of this Tennessee defense. In general, this Tennessee defense has given up over 500 yards of offense four times in six SEC games. And I know you guys, I don't want to say everybody, but I know some of you guys out there don't want to believe that we have an explosive offense and that we have an offense that can put up numbers. But the fact is that we do. The narrative might be that we don't, but that's not statistically accurate. We are number one in the SEC, top 10 nationally in yards per play. And Stetson Bennett, believe it or not, for all the Stetson haters out there, he is number one in the SEC in yards per attempt. That dude right now is averaging 11.8 yards per attempt. So that really kind of flies in the face, this narrative that Stetson Bennett cannot create explosive plays in the passing game. I know there's some some deep balls where he might underthrow and he doesn't hit the guy, but he hits a lot of them too. I mean, if you look at it from a national standpoint, 
Stetson's right up there nationally. If you look at yards per attempt nationally, Stetson is number two. He's behind Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina. So he's number one in the power five in yards per attempt. And it's really not all that close. It's almost a full yard more than number two, which is Caleb Williams from Oklahoma, who's at 10.9 yards per attempt. Now, I know when you look at the final stat book and you say, well, Georgia had a good game offense. They put up, you know, 430 yards or whatever. That's not elite. But you have to remember, guys, we don't run a ton of plays. We are a very slow-based tempo team, but we have been incredibly efficient in terms of maximizing the plays that we actually do run. So it's just really not a good matchup for this Tennessee defense. I know everyone's focused on the matchup between the, the really good Tennessee offense, the improving Tennessee offense, explosive Tennessee offense versus stellar Georgia defense. And that is an important matchup. Don't get me wrong. It is important. That's why I started off with it. But I think what might actually be deciding this game is the matchup between the Tennessee defense and our offense. I think our offense has a chance to hit some explosive plays against this defense because they're not very good. And it was really eye-opening. I kind of knew that coming into the game last week against Kentucky, but it was very eye-opening for me to watch how Kentucky was able to dice them up. I and mean, I've watched Kentucky basically every game they've played this year. And that is an offense that has really kind of struggled all year, but especially lately in SEC play, they have really been struggling. Will Levis has just not been able to get it done through the air. And they were doing pretty much whatever they wanted to that Tennessee defense. That was very eye-opening to me because we are far better offensively, far more talented offensively, far more balanced offensively than Kentucky can ever dream of being. And if they were able to do that, I know it was at home in Lexington, but if they were able to do that to that Tennessee defense, I know, you know, it's the transitive property of quality doesn't always apply, but it's certainly encouraging regarding what we can do offensively to this Tennessee defense. And God forbid if we get a situation where we have to keep up, you know, scoring a lot of points, getting into a shootout, I think that we can still find a way to win this game because that, that Tennessee defense just isn't good. But okay, those are your four stats that matter in this game. Let's move on to our next segment, which is three matchups to watch. I think the trenches are really important in this game, guys. So my first two matchups are right there in the trenches. And let's start with the Georgia defensive line versus the Tennessee offensive line. The way that Tennessee structures their offense, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the schemes here next, but the way they structure it, spraying the field, I mean, they're maximizing every inch of that field, guys. They line the receivers up. You'll see it on Saturday if you haven't watched a bunch of Tennessee games this year. They'll line their receivers up almost like as far as you can get to the sideline as possible. They really try to maximize spreading. Like when I say spread offense, I mean spread offense when you're talking about Tennessee. They create a lot of space out there. What that does, it does a couple different things, but really it makes it difficult to get any third level help from the secondary, like your safeties, against the run with how they spread the field and how they really build multiple options into like one play. So what everyone has to do defensively is you gotta do your job. And a lot of times that means that you don't get as much secondary help into the box as you normally would. I mean, the linebackers are there, but they're also really spread thin because they're being put into conflict in multiple ways by this Tennessee offense. They do a really good job of doing that. And I mean, look, it's always ideal to win your one-on-one battles in the trenches. That's always important. But when you are playing an offense as multifaceted as Tennessee, who can hurt you in so many different ways, who does such a good job of creating numbers advantages, you put a premium on it. You can put defenders in conflict all you want. You can RPO us, but no offense is gonna have any answer for just getting whipped up front. And I think we have a chance to do that. We need to do that in this game. The Tennessee offensive line is better than last year. You guys know that was one of my themes of last year. Coming to the year, everyone was talking about how great this Tennessee offensive line was gonna be. And I was like, I don't know what offensive line you're watching. And it kind of played out that way. They were god awful. They were terrible. They're better than last year. They're more stable. But 
I mean, it's all relative, guys. They're, that offensive line is still very, very average at best this year. I mean, Jordan Davis versus Cooper Mays at center? Come on, man. Come on, man. He got no chance. He's got no chance. Trayvon Walker, the way he's playing right now versus Cade Mays on the edge? Come on, man. He ain't got no chance in those matchups. So it's really important to be able to win these one-on-one battles because you're not going to have as much help. And I think we have a really good chance to do that more often than not. Now, we're going to win on every single play? Of course not. You don't win every single play. But I think the majority of the time, you're going to see our guys win those battles up front. We're just better. We're just better up front. I think that's going to be big in this game. I'll also say that Hendon Hooker, he's good. He's playing really well. He's playing really efficient for them. Only throw two interceptions all year. One area where he really struggles is, and this is not unique to him. This is kind of all quarterbacks. He struggles when he gets pressure in his face. Like when you have a, uh, a defensive front that's able to kind of collapse the pocket from the interior, he really kind of struggles. He kind of panics, doesn't know exactly what to do. Like he's running around like a deer in headlights or a chicken with his head cut off, just kind of panics, doesn't really know what to do. So I think it's really important for us to get that interior push, but also play discipline in our pass rush, much more so than, than we did against Missouri last week. We gave up way too many easy run lanes. Hopefully that was a coaching point. You gotta believe it was a coaching point this week with all the opportunities they had to kind of showcase what we were doing wrong on film. But I think getting an interior pass rush is really important. I think we're gonna be able to push the pocket with guys obviously like Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter as well. All right, the next matchup to watch, let's stay in the trenches. Again, I think this game's gonna be one of the trenches. Let's go to the George offensive line versus the Tennessee front seven. Tennessee has given up 202 yards a game on the ground in SEC games. That is 13th out of 14 teams in the league against conference foes. The problem is for us, though, as we saw last week, we're not really equipped to really impose our will on, on really anyone. Even Missouri, who <laughs> coming to the week last week, guys, again, was dead last in America in rush defense. And we didn't even crack the 200-yard marker. They, they were giving up over 280 yards a game. We didn't crack 200 yards. And that's because they were selling out to stop the run. Of course, they were outnumbered because there were a lot of free runners. That's true. But in the past, we've seen that a lot. And we've still been able to find a way to run the football with a lot of success and a lot of efficiency. The Tennessee defense, I'm almost certain, is going to do the exact same thing. So we've got to find a way to impose our will more than we were able to do last week. Now, I think we can do some things schematically to help out the offensive line when the opponent does that. But we've got to bring, we've got to bring it, man. We've got to bring in the on the offensive line, we've got to find a way to get more movement against the Tennessee front seven. That's just not that good. They don't really, they have no game changers. They have some decent players, but they have no game changers. Jeremy Banks is fine at linebacker. There are no game changers in that front seven. So if this unit is able to stifle our run game, that's going to be a, a concerning thing for me. But I, I think that we'll be able to win this battle. I don't know if we're going to road grade through them all game long, but I do like this matchup because this Tennessee front seven is just not very good. I think we do need to take out opportunities to hit them vertically and run some play action, some RPO, some quarterback run game to keep them honest more so than we were doing last week. Just don't take as long through that, to be honest. But I think that we can win this matchup. I think it's a really important matchup to win. I think the trenches are really important in this game. And finally, the last matchup to watch. Let's go with the Georgia defensive backs versus the Tennessee wide receivers. I laid it out earlier in our five players. You know, they have two really good, really explosive receivers and Velas Jones and Cedric Tillman. That's not all they've got. I mean, Jalen Hyatt's also a guy that can really hurt you and make some big plays. They got multiple guys that that can that can hit big plays. They're home run guys. So we are going to have to be prepared to defend those guys down the field. The way they run their offense, they put a lot of stress on cornerbacks. They create one-on-one -on -one opportunities with how they spread the field and how they run the football. 
And absolutely, guys, trust me when I say it, they're going to take vertical shots. They're going to try vertical shots in this game. They've done it all year long, going back to the first game of the year against Bowling Green. So we're going to have to hold up in man coverage in a way that we haven't had to all year. And I think this is what a lot of Georgia fans are talking about this, this week. Yeah, this I will agree. This is the most dynamic passing offense that we face to this point. They will challenge us in a way in the passing game that we have not been challenged yet this season. Now, does that mean they're elite throwing the football? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means they're the best that we face to this point. There are going to be bigger tests down the road, but this is the biggest test to date. So it's going to be a big test for Keely Ringo, who's really never in his entire career been challenged in that way. I'm excited that he's had a chance to, over the past couple weeks, really, I guess all season, to get those reps and, and improve and gain confidence heading into a matchup like this. I think Keely Ringo has all the physical tools in the world, all the talent in the world, but he's going to be challenged in a different way. Also, Latavius Brini, who's been really good for us, our good friend Josh brought that up earlier this week. He's been awesome for us. Teams have challenged him all year long. He's responded in a big way almost each and every time, but all of our deepest, including Latavius Brini, are going to have to bring it this week. They're going to have to be ready to defend guys in space. They're going to have to tackle. They're going to have to flash good ball skills. They're going to have to show really good eye discipline and not have their eyes in the wrong place. Do your job. It's really important this game, and we're going to have to show that we can cover and man coverage in a way that we haven't had to this year. So that's going to be really interesting. That's a matchup to certainly have your eyes on in this game. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, our next segment, let's talk about two schemes here. Let's start with the Georgia defense versus the Tennessee offense. We've talked about this many times on this show. You guys have been with us for a long time. You know what good offenses want to do. The goal for good offense is to put the defense in conflict. And Tennessee does a really good job of that. Now, what do I say by conflict? Like a classic case here would be like RPOs, where you're reading one defender, and say a linebacker, and you show run. If he crashes to take the run, you pull it and you throw, like, say, a slant right behind his head where he was. You put him in conflict. Whatever he does, he's wrong if you read it correctly. If he crashes on the run, then you pull it, you throw the ball. If he, if he is kind of savvy to the RPO running behind him, he stays and defends the zone there, you hand the ball because now you create a numbers advantage in the box. You put defenders in conflict. That's what good offense is about. And they do a really good job of that. They stretch you horizontally. They stretch you vertically. They'll pitch out on a bubble screen or they'll throw it vertically depending on how you defend them. They don't care. They don't care if you give them the bubble screen or the vertical shot or the run game. They'll take what you give them. The way they scheme it, you kind of have to give them something. So what you want to do defensively is give them what they're least good at and what's going to hurt you the least. And they do a really good job, a really good job of packaging plays in creating conflict, generating those eye violations. I'll give an example from the game last week against Kentucky. So they did this a couple times, but in particular, one play kind of stands out. They were in a two-by-two formation. And what they did on this play is they ran a bubble route to the field 
and then they ran two vertical routes to the boundary with those two wide receivers out there. Then they ran an RPO. So with the with a handoff or a quarterback draw, they did it different ways, different times. But basically, it's like three plays built into one. Based off what they see, based off what the defense is giving them, how the defense is playing them, they can hand the ball off to the running back. They could have a quarterback draw. They could throw it out to the bubble route to the field. They could take the vertical shots, depending on how you're playing them and where you are most vulnerable and where they have the, the most space to operate with and they have those one-on-one opportunities. And they have those plays built in almost every single play. And that, that's what I'm talking about, putting teams in confidence. It's really, really hard to defend a team when they've got multiple plays built into one. So they do a really good job with that. And they also do a really awesome job of making your aggressiveness work against you. But at the end of the day, again, going back to what I said earlier, what they want to do is run the football. They do a really good job of creating favorable numbers to make that possible. Because again, they have so many options built into one play, it's hard to have enough guys in the box to really take away the run. Because if you do that, you leave yourself open to big play opportunities in the passing game. So you've got to be able to win with even numbers. That's really important against a team like Tennessee because they really want to run the football at the end of the day. That's what creates all these explosive opportunities. And then, of course, the icing on the cake is the pace at which they are capable of operating at when they want to, which just exacerbates and amplifies all of the conflicts that they put the defense in. It makes it really hard to communicate, to adjust. It makes subbing very difficult. You guys know that we like to sub a lot on defense, to keep guys fresh, to get different packages on the field. They make it really hard to do that unless they sub themselves. And they try not to because they're going at such fast pace. It's really hard. And the the communication, the adjustment, that's really what creates a lot of eye violations and some eye discipline issues is like you just you're kind of panicking out there like they're going so fast you don't know what to look at you're you're kind of uneasy out there you get your eyes in the wrong spot for a split second boom they just beat you deep for a 60 yard touchdown pass it's happened multiple times with the Tennessee offense it happened multiple times last week against Kentucky that's so important this game is just communicating being aware of what's going on and not getting sped up defensively they're going to try to speed you up but don't get sped up it's kind of like college basketball right or any basketball game where if a team likes to run at a really fast pace and let's say you're a slow it down team, you don't want to let them dictate the pace. You don't want to let them speed you up. You got to be out there and play your game. I mean, they're going to go fast, all right? They're going to go fast, but you can't like get your mind sped up to where you're not really thinking, you're not focusing. That's the danger here. But I will say this. I actually think it helps us a little bit. I know it sounds weird. It helps the defense that this game is in Knoxville. Because think about this. Home crowds, when are they loud? They're loud when the opposing offense is on the field. They're not loud when their offense is on the field. So yeah, Tennessee's going to go really fast, but it helps us that they're not going to be that loud when the defense is out there. It helps us with communicating and getting those adjustments out there better than, like, let's say Kentucky was able to do last week. Because Kentucky, it was kind of vice versa for them. When the Kentucky defense was out there on the field, when the Tennessee offense was out there, the Kentucky fans were going crazy. They were really loud. And yeah, it kind of impacted Tennessee to a degree, but they're kind of used to that. It really hurt Kentucky because you could see on the field, they couldn't hear each other when they were trying to make the adjustments. They were trying to use hand signals and guys weren't seeing it all the time. They were trying to yell. You could see they could not hear each other and it created a lot of issues for them. So I actually think in some weird, strange way, the fact that it's in Knoxville actually helps our defense in this game. So how do you defend this offense? That's the big question here. What We always say defensively what you want to do is, with your game plan, make whoever you're playing, make that offense play left-handed. So what does making Tennessee play left-handed look like in this game? For me, I think you got to stop the run game and you have to account for the quarterback run game. Hendon Hooker can absolutely gut you with the quarterback scramble or the design quarterback draw. So I say this really every week, and I will continue to say it every week because it's been such a 
key part to what we've done defensively. We've got to be able to operate and stop their run game, hold the run game in check with even numbers in the box. We've been able to do that all year long. It's allowed us to stay structurally sound in the back end with our coverage and, and do different things from a coverage standpoint and really not give those explosive plays in the pass game. Against a Tennessee offense that is so explosive in the pass game, it's going to take on even more of a premium in this game. We've got to be able to operate and slow down their run game. I'm not going to say stop the run game because they do run the ball well, but slow it down enough with even numbers in the box. Now, we also have to be disciplined in our pass rush, but it's it's a delicate balancing act here. You got to be disciplined in your pass rush, but you still have to get after him. Rush and integrity is going to be really important in this game. We have to be very careful with twists and stunts up front because that can create those natural rush lanes for him to kind of take off and scramble and pick up a first down. You don't want to do that. You have to be disciplined, but you still have to get after him. Be aggressive, but have like controlled aggression, which is a very delicate balancing act for, for a defense. Now, what I would do is I would have our at least one of our defensive linemen or linebackers kind of slow playing the rush and mirroring or spying, if you want to say that, Hinton Hooker in this game. I would do that often. You can't do it every play, but I would do it a lot to try to take that away and account for him in the run game because he really can't hurt you with his ability to run the football. And I think our defensive versatility in the front seven really helps with this because, you know, we can drop Nolan Smith. We can drop Trayvon Walker, 275-pound Trayvon Walker into coverage and feel pretty good about that. And you can have an inside linebacker mirror him who's a little bit more athletic. We can do a lot of different things. We can give him a lot of different looks. And that's certainly something that's going to help us in this game. From a coverage standpoint, I don't really love man coverage against Tennessee with how Hooker can hurt you with the scramble. You turn your back to him like that, defending guys, then he'll just take off. He does it time and time again. But you also, you can't really work a lot of cover three, and I'd be very wary of that because they will kill you with the RPO game when you do that. What I love against a team like Tennessee is I love quarters coverage. Uh, quarters coverage is, is great against a lot, of, a lot of different things, but what Tennessee likes to do is, you know, they, they like to, to get vertical. They like to take the vertical shots. And quarters can morph into man coverage when they take those vertical shots and those vertical routes, but it also allows you to get numbers against the run. Because, I mean, just to give you a little quick crash course in quarters coverage, when you're running like true quarters coverage, and there's so many different variations, but if you're running basic quarters coverage, the safeties, when they read run, they're going to trigger. So you can get like eight or nine guys in the box when they're running the football if they read it right. Now, you can become vulnerable to play actions. You got to be very careful there and be very uh, sound in your, in your run reads. But when they throw the ball then the safeties are going to pick up the number two receiver vertically. If the number two receiver does not go vertically, they pass that guy off to a linebacker usually underneath, and it's kind of a zone coverage. And in those cases, what the safeties going to do is going to help on number one or just read the quarterback's eyes if, if the number two receiver does not go vertical. So I think that is the way to go because it's flexible. And how do you attack a flexible Tennessee offense? I think you attack it with a flexible coverage. I think quarters, again, you can't run anything exclusively, but I think this is a coverage that I think would be really beneficial. And there's so many different variations of it. And I think we can work different variations, whether it's clamp, whether it's it's palms, there's so many different things that you can do. But I think that's the way to go. I don't love like true man coverage against them, like two under, because they can really hurt you in the run game, especially the quarterback run game. When he drops back to pass, you turn a man coverage and you turn your back to the quarterback, he'll just take off. He does it time and time and time again. Okay, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball and let's take a look at the Georgia offense versus the Tennessee defense. If you've listened to the episodes earlier this week, I think I made it pretty clear what I think we need to start doing more of offensively to counteract how defenses are playing us, which is obviously taking chances, loading the box, getting those numbers, trying to outnumber us there. Teams are taking big time chances defensively. They are selling out to stop the run and we've got to make them pay for that. 
because we don't have that kind of offensive line that we've had in years past, the past three or four years, where we can still kind of run over and through those teams. Even if they have us outnumber the box, we found ways to run the football and be efficient and be explosive. We don't have that kind of offensive line right now. We just don't. We don't have Ben Cleveland. We don't have Isaiah Wills. We don't have Andrew Thomas. We don't have those guys on this offensive line. So what do we do to kind of counteract what teams are doing to us, trying to slow down the run? I think first and foremost, we got to run more play action on first down. We got to take those opportunities. When we do that, we have a lot of success. We need to incorporate more of the RPO game into what we do in the passing game. We need to incorporate more quarterback run game into what we do. Yeah, I know Stetson's small. I understand that. Coaches are rightfully concerned about him taking a big hit and getting knocked out. But if mobility is a big factor in why he's starting, you need to actually utilize his mobility on a more consistent basis. Otherwise, it's a moot point. The mobility doesn't matter if we're not actually using it. If you're only relying on it like once or twice a game where he makes a scramble, evades pressure, and extends the play, you might run one zone read of a game. Is that enough to justify keeping him in the game and not going to JT? I don't think so. I need to think I think you need to make use of his skill set more, which is that mobility. Because Tennessee is going to do, guys, exactly what Missouri did to us. They absolutely are. Why would they do anything different? Like Missouri, Tennessee is not good against the run. They cannot defend us with even numbers in the box. Even if we aren't like a dominant offensive line that's just going to road grade people. They're going to sell out and they're going to trust guys like Alante Taylor and Warren Burrell on the outside at quarterback to hold up in man coverage against our young wideouts. I think we can win a lot of those battles, but we have to at least try to make them pay for that. Of course, we can't abandon the run. That's not what I'm advocating here because the threat of run is what makes those constraints, the RPOs, the quarterback run game, play action on first down, it's what makes those constraints so effective. You got to continue to run the ball, but you can't be overly stubborn about it. We've got to take those shots off play action. We got to work the RPO game, the quarterback run game to take back the numbers advantage and use their aggressiveness against them. We got to make them pay. And I, I'm hopeful that we will do that. I think you started to see us do more of that after the first quarter and a half or so against Missouri. We saw what they were doing. We tried to run the football regardless of what they were doing. It wasn't really working. So what did we do? We took some of those chances. We started to run more RPOs. We started to attack the perimeter in the run game. And we had a lot of success. The offense started to take the top off the defense and really started to put up some points. And we ran away with that game. Let's just not wait a quarter, a quarter and a half this time. Let's just do that from the get-go and see if we can go out there take an early lead and take that crowd out of the game. And that brings us finally to our last segment, one key to the game. You know what, guys? If it's cool with you, I might give you more than one key to the game. I might cheat a little bit here, break my own rules. I'm cool with that if you're cool with it. I've pretty much mentioned all of these keys at some point during this episode, but we'll kind of recap them here. A big key as it is every game, I think it takes more of a premium in a game like this against a team like Tennessee that spreads you sideline to sideline so much and puts pressure on you, stretching horizontally and vertically, gets guys out of the box, makes it really hard to get help from the third level in the run game. It's really, really important to be able to defend the run with even numbers. Number one, so that you can stop the run game with a light box. They kind of force you into a light box. They really do. That's one of their goals. And you've got to be able to stop the run. Missouri, a couple of weeks back, was certainly not able to do that. They ran for almost 500 on Missouri. I think we have been able to do that for the most part. I mean, really, not for the most part. We have been able to do that all year long. Hopefully, this is not the first game that we can't. Because if we can't, it's going to be a long game for us. They're going to put up some points on us. And of course, what that will also allow us to do, it allow us to keep our safeties in a too high shell look, keep some safety help over the top so Tennessee 
doesn't have those one-on-one opportunities that they want to generate so they can create those explosive plays, it's really, really important for us to do that. That is certainly a key to this game. It's really a key for us every game, but a game like this, I think it takes on even more importance with how Tennessee structures their offense. I also think tackling is going to be a major key in this game. We did not tackle well against Missouri. I do think, I agree with Kirby Smart. I think it was the worst tackling effort of the year for us. Curtis mentioned that pretty early on in our recap episode on Monday. That was a problem for us. Now, it hasn't been a problem all year. We've tackled really, really well all year, but we didn't do a great job. It wasn't a disaster, but we didn't do a great job against Missouri just getting those guys on the ground on a consistent basis. We just missed a couple tackles, too many of them. Obviously, that's a problem against any team, but against Tennessee, it's one of those things that just takes on more importance. Obviously, as a defender, you got to get guys on the ground. That's the key every game. But Tennessee is this team that just creates space and they want to attack space. They want to get these playmakers, guys like Vellis Jones, guys like Cedric Tillman, Jabari Small, Tyon Evans. They want to get these guys in space one-on-one and more often than not, they like their chances. And more often than not, they're winning those one-on-one battles in space and they're creating explosive plays off that. It's really important to get them on the ground. I go back to the Kentucky game last week again. Kentucky gave up multiple explosive plays in that game, not just the blown assignments, that was part of it, but they also missed a lot of tackles in space. You just can't do that against a team like Tennessee. You gotta get them on the ground. And they will stretch you horizontally a lot. It's not all vertical shots. They'll certainly take vertical shots. They really run a lot of screens. They're a very screen-heavy offense. And part of that is stretching horizontally. And when they get you horizontal like that, they create opportunities to get you kind of one-on-one and they will make you miss. They can hit those explosive plays. They have home run speed. They have athleticism. You got to get them on the ground. It's really, really important in this game because limiting explosive plays is something that we have to do. We simply just cannot give up an abundance of explosive plays like Kentucky did. Kentucky did not give up those explosive plays. They win that game. Tennessee kind of relies on that. Again, I don't think Tennessee has the ability to go up and down the field consistently on these long, grind-out type drives against our defense. They're go- to win this game, to stay in this game, they're going to have to create those explosive plays, do what they've been doing. And one of the ways that we can limit that and, and make it to where they're, they're not in this game is to tackle. Just get the guys on the ground. Basic fundamental football. And then finally, my final key to the game here, we got to hit the layup opportunities that we're given. We're going to have those opportunities, guys. I just talked about it when we did our schemes there, talking about the, the Georgia offense versus the Tennessee defense. We've got to hit those shot plays when they present themselves. Tennessee is going to defend us with guys in the box. We're going to try to outnumber us. They saw what Missouri is able to do to stop our run. I mean, I know that that makes them vulnerable to the pass. They know that too, just like Missouri knew that. But you got to make teams play left-handed. Making Georgia play left-handed in most people's minds means stopping the run and forcing Stetson Bennett. Because like a lot of you guys, a lot of teams just don't believe a little five foot ten and a half former walk-on is going to consistently beat them through the air. To this point in the season, more often than not, Stetson Bennett has been able to do it. I know people don't like to admit that, but again, he's leading the SEC second nationally in yards per attempt. That doesn't mean every throw is perfect, because it's not. It doesn't mean he makes every right read, because he doesn't. But he puts a lot of balls in the money, more than than people want to give him credit for. He makes a lot of correct reads, more than people want to give him credit for. And it's going to be really important in this game. Now, he, he played a really good game, did a good job on the road in a very hostile environment earlier in the year. At Auburn, that was a tough game. That was his first like truly full crowd on the road in a truly hostile environment. This is going to be very similar to that, if not even more hostile in this game. He wasn't affected by that moment earlier in the year against Auburn. I hope to God he's not affected by that moment this week against Tennessee because we're going to need him 
to hit those shot plays. They're going to give us opportunities. Todd Munkin's going to dial it up. We've got to hit them. We've got to make him pay. We cannot leave those yards out in the field because if we're not hitting those plays, it's going to be tough moving the football because they're going to try to outnumber us. I mean, they're not good in the front seven. They're not. But when they have free runners, so they outnumber us, we don't have enough blockers for them. We're not going to consistently be able to run the football just like we get last week against Missouri. We're in the football fine, okay, but really not so much until we started to really make them pay for selling out against the run. So we've got to hit those opportunities. Our receivers have got to win in man coverage against a good group of corners, especially Elante Taylor. And we've got to actually convert on those opportunities. We've got to hit them because that is what's going to make Tennessee pay. And if we can hit those shots, they got no chance, guys. I'm telling you, they got no chance. If we can limit their explosive plays and we hit explosive plays ourselves, they're not going to win this game. They can't hang with us. But it's going to take that. And that's what we're going to have to do. But all right, guys, that does it for me here on the Glory UGA podcast. As always, thank you guys again so much for listening to us here, giving us your support. Can't thank you enough for that. Charlie and I will be back one more time this week for our Week 11 Picks of the Week. So you got that to look forward to. That's where I will give you my official prediction for this game. And Charlie will give you her thoughts as well. So check back in for that. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, go dog.